0: Let me get into the Word today. and the privilege of continuing a teaching series that we started several weeks ago, a series that we're simply calling the Book of Romans. And this jog through the Book of Romans, I'm calling it a jog because we're not stopping at every chapter and every verse, but we're doing a brisk jog through the Book of Romans to cover what I would call the Christian Basics. And so, much like every series that we do here, this is for everybody, right? For the seasoned, lifelong Christian, all the way to the person who has never engaged a conversation of faith, never darkened the door of a a Christian church, like, and everybody else in between, this series is for everyone. And I guess the mega theme of this series, particularly the book of Romans, is the righteousness of God, as I said a couple of weeks ago particularly how a righteous God justifies sinners like you and me. Paul tells us in this faithful letter how to be right with God, how to be right with ourselves, and how to be right with others, which is basically our purpose for being on earth. Love God, love people, right? And so far we've covered the importance and significance of genuine faith. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed Of the gospel because Paul understands that the gospel is powerful it can do the heavy lifting right of moving us from darkness into light and so Paul says I'm not ashamed because it's powerful to do the heavy lifting and the power of the gospel as he's seen it at work in his own life gives him great confidence not only does it anchor his soul but it gives him the confidence to tell it to anybody who will listen we moved on from there to talk about the bad news and the good news. Bad news is really bad. We're messed up, inherently sinful, doomed for judgment, but the good news is really good too, right? While we were yet sinners, Christ came to rescue us. And of course, last week, Shannon talked to us about the benefits of Christian faith and that they anchor us with peace, joy, Hope. Those are anchoring realities. And so this week, I want to continue our jog through Romans by looking at the Holy Spirit, particularly the role and the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Um, Maybe you didn't know this. Maybe you've forgotten this. Maybe nobody ever told you. But when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, when you believe upon him, you confess and you believe upon the name of Jesus, a measure of God's Spirit is deposited on the inside of you. Not just for the sake of helping you have warm fuzzies as you walk about your workaday, everyday Christian life, but because willpower alone won't help you be successful as a Christian. Grabbing a hold of your bootstraps and just willing yourself to do good and just willing yourself to make good decisions, willing yourself to press into the things of God and to press away from the things that corrupt our faith, those things don't work. I tried. and My guess is that if you've been walking with the Lord for any length of time, you've tried human effort. You've tried the bootstrap thing, and it doesn't work. The only thing that works is living what we call empowered life. And the juice that you need, the power that you need, the motor for the Christian life is the indwelling power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And the only way to, to, to walk out this Christian life successfully is to be empowered by the Spirit. And I want to talk a little bit about that this morning as we continue our job through Romans. I'm simply calling this message this morning Life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit. And we'll be in Romans chapter 8 this morning, so meet me there in your Bibles. We'll start at verse 1 and go through 17. Romans chapter 8. We'll be projecting the words on the screen, and feel free to follow along in your Bibles or your phones or what have you. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. While you find it, let me pray. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, it's is your presence. It's already, already thick in the room. We just gently invite you to stay to have your way to move in us to move among us to speak truth to us to arrest what needs to be arrested to rearrange what needs to be arranged to move out what needs to be moved out make our hearts this morning soft landing places for your spirit for your truth And, Father, I just know that in a room this size, and those perhaps watching online, there's somebody who's really far from you today. That's all they can do is drag themselves to church. All they could do is, is switch on the live stream. And, Father, I just pray that you would meet them right where they are today. Speak truth to us. Do what only you can do. May the book come alive. Move the preacher out of the way so that your truth and light might shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said... Amen. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to start at verse 1. Paul says this, "...so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature." So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Verse 4. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things but those who are controlled by the holy spirit think about things that please the spirit so letting excuse me verse six so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace for the sinful nature is always hostile to God it never did obey God's law and never will that's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you who are not, controlled by your, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature, you are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. Verse 10. And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you, and just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do, for if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Verse 15. So you have not received the Spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba Father. For his Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we are also to share his suffering. Now, this is such a rich and essential text. Pastor David, can you, uh, can you grab me a handkerchief out of the green room, please? I'm sorry. I feel like I might get sweaty today. <laughs> this is such a rich and essential text. Because this passage captures the essence of Christian faith and Christian living. And so basically what I'm saying is don't check out on me today because this is an essential text, particularly if you want to be successful at living the Christian life. This passage, as some might say, is required reading for the believer because it contains the essential reminders that we need reminders or first-time information for some of us of the source of the power and strength that we need in order to live this life well. And so my charge and challenge to you today is to lean in. There are three things that Paul puts in this text that stand out if we wish to enjoy successful Christian living, if we wish to live the empowered life a life according to the Spirit. I want to tick through them as quickly as possible this morning. The first is, Paul puts it plainly. Thank you, Pastor David. Appreciate it, brother. first is that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, I want that to just sink in for a second. This is a great pronouncement. It's one of the goodest aspects of the good news in that it proclaims freedom for all those who are in Christ. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. This sentence sums up the whole chapter as everything else flows from it. It is, as one commentary writer put it, the heart of the gospel. It is the heart of the gospel. And not only that, it is the concise summation of every chapter that we've covered so far. Chapter 1, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's going to do the heavy lifting. Also, chapter 1, he lays out the depth of our sin problem. Move on to chapter 3, sin's punishment that we deserve and God's overwhelming undeserved mercy It sums that up, too. And, of course, as we studied chapter 5 last week, justification through faith brings the anchoring peace, hope, and joy. To sum it up, God's love is strong. The work of the cross is strong. We are forgiven and not condemned. Now, I'm always, as a preacher, when I cover this material, I'm always a little surprised at how mild the response is when I say there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm always just kind of expecting somebody to just hop up, get happy in Jesus, and run around the place. But that rarely happens. (laughs) I believe that the more we recognize our sinfulness, the more no condemnation has a certain ring to it. I think that the more in touch we get with the depth of our depravity and the huge cavity that lies between us and God before Jesus died for us, I think the more we get in touch with that, the better this news sounds to us. I also realize that so few of us have ever been found guilty in a real court of law. And so there just might be a gap between our understanding of what it means to not be condemned when you deserve to be condemned. But somebody in this room has done some time. Somebody watching me on the live stream, you've done some time. And so you, you, you know what it would mean if after you've been tried through the due process, the evidence laid out, the jury comes back, with a guilty verdict, your sentence might even be handed out, and after all of that, as you prepare to to go away for a while, somebody says, you know what, on second thought, don't worry about it. It's covered. And I realize that (laughs) these words sometimes ring hollow because we don't have a connection to that reality. And because we don't have a connection to that reality, we can go about thinking that at least in general, or at least by comparison, we are just generally fine people. I mean, I haven't murdered anybody lately. I haven't stolen anything recently. I've cut back on sinning. And when I put myself up against that person, I'm actually, I'm not that bad, right? Right? And this is why Paul goes to such great lengths to describe the depth of our sin problem. The degree to which we have slipped and drifted because we are a glorious mess. But God, he sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And so Paul is describing what's known in the Christian tradition as justification. One of them big old Christian words that we need not be afraid of, that we not try to find a hip, slick, updated word like that's good enough. Justification. Justification simply means it's an act of God whereby God declares a sinner to be righteous because of that sinner's faith. In Christ. We're guilty. We did it. We deserve punishment. But God says, I do not condemn you. The way He does this is He credits the righteousness and purity of His own Son, sinless, blameless. He credits that to our overdrawn accounts. And some of you can relate to having a negative balance right I remember as a college student struggling I didn't have a zero balance it was like a little negative sign next to the balance I was overdrawn and the fees were compounding fees and I would call home the old man and say hey dad how you doing get the niceties out of the way and say listen I need I'm a little short and my father would Call me, say, son, I took care of that. Go check. And we rush to the ATM, and sure enough, no more negative balance. And go to the store, get me some noodles or something, right? Some, somebody credited some money to my overdrawn account. In the same way, we we're busted, destitute. Sin and sin's consequences have got us all the way down past zero. And what God does is He. Credits the righteousness of his own son into our account. So that when he looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see our guilt. He doesn't see our shame. He doesn't see our past. He sees the righteousness of his son because what? We've been justified. We've been justified. That's great news, isn't it? And so that's it. We're done, justified, we can move on, right? There's more. Because how do we get, up, get, get on with living differently? Our justification deals with what, you know, who we were, but there's something ahead of us. There's a life ahead of us, there's mission, there's purpose. And so we need, we need another leg to this thing so that we might carry on. Paul takes care of that too in chapter 8. The second thing he highlights is the fact that now that we've been justified, the Holy Spirit guides our life now. The Holy Spirit guides our life now. And so, if the way in is we're justified by God, the way on is we are sanctified by God. I'll say it again. The way in is justification, but the way on, Is sanctification through the power of the Spirit. More on that a little bit later. Paul says in verse 4, We no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead we follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life. And that peace that Pastor Shannon was talking about last week, For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law and never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. Now, this is really, really important, really, really clarifying, and super informative for those who didn't know. Justification is one thing, but sanctification is something altogether different. Sanctification defined is the ongoing, I might add, lifelong change worked by God in, it, in us, freeing us from sinful habits and forming in us Christ-like affections, dispositions, and virtues. I'm going to read that again. The ongoing, lifelong change worked by God in us, freeing us from sinful habits, forming in us Christ-like affections, dispositions, and virtues. So sanctification, the process of sanctification, is a work of the Holy Spirit, and is a lifelong process by which we submit ourselves to God through the Spirit to make us look every day a little more and a little more like Jesus. It is the the lifelong left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, walking out of our faith, dealing with our issues, with an attentive ear to the Holy Spirit to change what he needs to change, to move us in the right direction. Uh, The the, the, the Folks in the old church used to say, I'm sanctified as if it was done. As long as you can draw breath, somebody say there's more sanctification that needs to happen. The forever pursuit of holiness, because God says that we should be holy because he is holy. And holiness simply means to be set apart, to be designated, to be earmarked, if you will, for the master's use it means to be categorically unavailable to the things that aren't like god because we have so committed ourselves to the things of jesus we're unavailable for the foolishness and folly and folk that don't deserve us because we're just too busy doing the kingdom work we can't schedule it sanctification holiness James Boyce, one of my favorite commentary writers, says that holiness is justification's goal. That we are justified, that we might be sanctified, a pure holy offering available for the master's use. Holiness, sanctification is justification's goal. And if I haven't said it enough, sanctification is a work of the Spirit. You can't get this by any other means the work of the Spirit. And Paul has plenty to say in the New Testament about the Spirit's work and role. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. He says the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly finding each other so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Paul says there's another team on the field. And here you are in church among the saints on Sunday. You're doing so good in here, right? But then you go home. Then you go to work. You get to fooling around with those kids and all of a sudden, the kingdom of darkness is pressing in. There's another team on the field that hates everything about your decision to submit yourself to the rule and reign of Christ. And it is his job, as the scripture tells us, to kill, to steal from you, and to destroy you. There's another team on the field. Verse 19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Hang on. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger. Did I get to yours yet? Selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again as I have before that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But there's more. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, or be jealous of one another. That is a mouthful, but you get the picture. Paul just runs down real quick, real quick. What kind of fruit is growing on the tree of your life? Real quick. And he gave us a long list. Everybody in the room got hit. He gave us a shorter list, though, of the fruit that grows On the tree of somebody who's being led by the Spirit. How did you fare? Don't answer. Can I press in deeper? Jesus takes us to school also on the role and work of the Spirit. In John chapter 16, verse 8, he says this. And when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world of its sins and God's righteousness and of the coming judgment." The world's sin is that it refuses to believe me. This is Jesus. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And so Jesus and Paul provide for us a window into what the empowered life looks like. Gives us some important details about what we can expect from the Spirit when it shows up. Well, how we should be attentive and in tuned with the Spirit as it tries to do what the Spirit is supposed to do is is to lead us and guide us into all manner of godliness. They help us try to identify these things. And one of the things that Jesus says is that the Spirit will bring conviction. Somebody say conviction. conviction. The Spirit will bring conviction. Notice he didn't say condemnation. It behooves you to understand the difference between the two. The Spirit of God will bring conviction, not condemnation. And the way I've experienced condemnation in my own life is a non-specific feeling of guilt and unworthiness. And we've all felt this, right? Condemnation doesn't get specific. It wants to just envelop you in this general feeling of ickiness this general feeling of unworthiness, this general feeling that tends to make one drift from God rather than run toward him. And some of these seats are empty today because conviction, I'm sorry, condemnation. COVID disruption has sent us running to some of the snacks of life. And we're we're aware how far we've drifted, and the enemy might whisper to you, listen, God don't want anything to do with you. You go, and you think they want to see you down in that church after what you've been up to? And so what happens? You just drift and drift and drift. But the spirit, the spirit is, is, is precise. Condemnation is a grenade that Satan throws into your life. He wants to blow up everything. The conviction of the spirit is a scalpel. It's an instrument of precision, and it only goes after that which God wants to deal with. And so conviction, I have found, is is very specific. The Lord puts his finger on something and says, deal with that. Man, straighten that out. The spirit brings conviction. And in bringing conviction, he brings clarity and gives us some actionable ways to right that which is wrong. Jesus also says that the Spirit points to truth. The Spirit points to truth. If there's ever a time where we needed to know what was true, if there was ever a time where we needed to know what was real in the age of fake news, and all kinds of spin and misdirection, where it's more profitable for a lie to get out. And how do we know it's true? How do we identify the lies? Well, you could get a bunch of samples of all the lies and study them so that you're well acquainted with them when you see it, or you can get real, real, real acquainted with the truth. You get real acquainted with the truth, such that a lie stands out like a sore thumb. The Spirit points to truth. The Spirit will tell you if that guy is no good. The Spirit will tell you if that jerkler just wants to get between your sheets. He will tell you if you want to, sometimes you want to listen. The spirit, all kinds of red flags. La, 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 la. <laughs> the spirit will tell you if that business deal is a bad one. Spirit will tell you. You're charging full speed toward a dead end cliff. The spirit points to what is true. Spirit will also draw. Foul lines in your life so that you might live a life of limits. I know that sounds really restricting. I know that sounds less fun. But how many of you know when the lines are clearly painted on the playing field, there's actually more freedom? You know where to run and where not to run, you know where to throw the ball and not to throw the ball. The Spirit convicts, it points to truth. It imposes limits, and the results are clarity, right? Because if you walk with Jesus long enough, you're in touch with the Spirit, I've just found that I don't have to deliberate about some things. Some things are just squared away. And some of you got to deliberate about everything. Sometimes I talk to people and they say, I got to pray about it. You got to pray about that? I think the Lord wants you to come to church on Sunday. Are you on the- unless one of these lights is going to fall one Sunday and the Spirit's like, stay home, because you'll be sitting in a seat right under that light. Like, listen to the Spirit. But generally, there's something we don't have to pray about. There's some things that are just generally true, generally godly, and there are a whole host of things that aren't. And when you walk according to the Spirit and you get that quickening of the Spirit, there's like something right with that one. I don't go there. I don't trust that one. Spirit will lead you and guide you. And it brings freedom. With limits come freedom. Somebody's in your ear pointing out the things that you need to correct. It brings freedom, right? And some of us will always struggle to live the good life, the empowered life, because we won't allow the Spirit to help us Live this life well. We're unwilling to impose limits. Unwilling to listen to the voice of the Spirit, whose job it is to lead us and guide us into truth. Whose job it is to convict us in the areas where we need to be convicted. It's not that you're not saved. It's not that you don't love Jesus. But Paul says often... Live according to the Spirit, which means we have a choice. You can listen to the Spirit and you can ignore the Spirit. To live according to the Spirit. The empowered life embraces limits. It welcomes the conviction of the Spirit. And it, hear me, loves truth. It loves truth. cannot be successful paul knows it. jesus knows it without the indwelling power of the spirit and so we've come to believe in christ filled with the spirit we choose to walk in that spirit and the third thing that paul brings home here is that we become his children we are his children what a beautiful picture that paul takes his time to paint for us so carefully We are now in the family of God. Released from our slavery, no longer orphans or strangers, no longer the enemies of God. And we're not just friends of God, but we're sons and daughters. We're not just friends of God. We are sons and we are daughters. Verse 14 says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Friends, we are children of God. And one of the roles and one of the work of the spirit is to, as Paul says, join with our spirit to affirm our new sonship. Right Now, this is why the first part is important, because if you're feeling condemned, which is not from God, you you don't feel like a son or a daughter. You don't come boldly like a son or a daughter. You come sheepishly if you come at all. I love how my kids, like, they come boldly, right? Sometimes too boldly, right? How many times I've been talking to one of you... uh, After service, and I just see a kid hovering. They don't care about interrupting me. They want my phone. (laughs) Or they want me to let them get a muffin or something out of the green room because they're my kids. And they just come boldly because they're my kids. And that's what they're supposed to do. But you don't come that way if you feel condemned. If you feel ashamed if you've drifted. And so one of the role and work of the spirit is to affirm our sonship so that we might press in. Paul says now we call him Abba Father. It's an interesting term for us because it's of Aramaic origin. Some scholars consider it to be a colloquial term familiar with young children have used, similar to how American children use Papa or daddy. This is a warm, familial term of endearment. But it also has deep reverence and due regard for the sovereignty and the highness of God. There's respect, but there's like, this is my daddy, right? And so one of the Spirit's job is to press us toward the Father's heart. Because we're no longer orphans, no longer strangers. There's no condemnation. We are sons and daughters. We've been forgiven, filled with the Spirit, empowered to live the life of sons and daughters. That's who we are. And, worship team, you can come up as I land the plane this morning. So, we put this all together this morning. Two big ideas we've covered. Justification and sanctification. God justifies us. The Spirit sanctifies us. And Jesus Christ, the fruit of the cross and his sacrifice, makes both of those things, both of those things possible. And so I guess my question to you is, who's feeling condemned this morning? I had this sinking feeling this morning. I just don't really feel really good on Sunday mornings. I have a bit of a pep at myself step, but, I, but this morning I felt this heaviness. And the more I just ponder what that could mean, I just, I, I feel like the Lord just like let me feel what somebody else might be feeling today. That distance from God, that uncertainty with regard to whether or not you can come close. Just feeling that general sense of spiritual ickiness. And if you heard nothing that I said this morning, hear Paul's faithful words. Chapter 8, verse 1. There is no condemnation for those in Christ. Yes, you've messed up. Yes, you've drifted. Sure, you've gone to shame but you're in good company <laughs> but the gift that God wants you to leave with is a fresh infilling of the holy spirit a fresh infilling can you guys do fill me up? a fresh infilling of the spirit listen if we're followers of Jesus, we've been filled with the Spirit for a long time. But guess what? We leak. <laughs> and, we, and we need to be filled again. We need to be filled again. Others of you are here today and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus. Or life and circumstances have conspired against you and, and you have walked you've walked away. One of the things we pledged at the very beginning of this series is that we would give people an opportunity every single week to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. Every single week. And frankly we might just do it from now from now on just because it's super important, right? And so at the end of each one of these Messages We've been just leading folks in a prayer of faith. Real short prayer of faith. And we've invited even those of you who already believe to, to, to say it as well so they don't feel alone. But I want to invite you. If you want to surrender your life to Jesus, to pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins. And I invite you to come into my heart and my life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer today or the last couple of weeks, welcome to the family of God. And if you prayed that prayer over the last couple of weeks, come talk to us. We'd like to know and celebrate with you. But as we close today, we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to fill us again. Because some of us are empty, and we just need one more church from the Spirit. So I don't you stand with us if you can. And as they sing this song, fill me up. Let these not be words that just pass through your lips, but let this be a real cry of your heart to the Lord today. That the Spirit would fill us, and that we might begin today to live the empowered life.